0: People always ask how I balance my family life with 400 shows a year. I'm just doing what I love with the people I love. It's my magic life. All right, we're back. And um, man, I never would have thought after we wrapped up stuff last week with a comedian that we'd be uh, interviewing a bounty hunter tonight.
1: I think it's awesome. A
0: bounty hunter, a second degree black belt, uh a life coach, this girl. I told her she's like an onion. She's got all these layers. She said, Oh, like Shrek? I said, Oh man.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: she figured out where I got my source for my uh thing at.
2: <laughs> but anyway,
0: uh we got Wynn on um on our podcast tonight. We met Wynn while we were working with uh Penn and Teller while we were filming Fool Us. And she was on the production company. And one of the things that I was talking to my publicist about was anytime we do a television show we worked in carbon we did Penn and Teller, whether we do local television or whatever, I get to know everybody. I talk to everybody, whether it be a PA or whether it be somebody with the production company. I talk Great. to everybody. Yeah. I I really do. So and,
1: and Wynn is extremely easy to talk to and so incredibly nice and well, um, thank you. So, this is going to fly by. This is going to be awesome. And
0: Lana fell in love with her oh, right my away. Goodness. There was yes. no warm-up period at all. My little girl, Lana, she was just... She loved Win right away.
2: Yeah. normally I love she... her energy right off the bat as well. We clicked right off the bat, Aww, I feel.
1: Yes, because normally she's... You know, she can get up in front of a a huge yeah. audience and be fine but then one on one she's like i have to get to know them first not with win she was like, i got to tell her this i got to tell her that and it was like all oh, that's, that's so wonderful
2: great. that made me feel good Aww. yay
1: <laughs>
2: right so, on
1: yeah
0: well anyway when uh tell us tell us a little about yourself here there's so much i don't even know where to start i'll just let you start
2: yeah, I don't know where it started as well. Uh, well, my my main background has always been in the martial arts, um, so I made that uh, a career for a period of time. And at, during that time, I was able to teach so many people, touch so many people's lives. I taught students from as young as three years old to as old as eighty-two years old. Um, it It took me around the world. It allowed me to have the privilege and the honor to actually go to the Shaolin Temple in China, um, and to be able to have my second degree testing there in the temple grounds, and and have my ceremony witnessed by uh, the head abbot of the Shaolin Temple. That it was just an experience like no other. And for people who aren't familiar with the martial arts, you know, they 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 would ask me, well. I I can't relate to that. How can I relate to that? I said, well, imagine if, say, you're a practicing uh, Catholic person, and you get an opportunity to go to the Vatican and meet the Pope himself. It's kind of like on that kind of level. So when I put it like that, people are like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And so, wow, you know, and then then the questions come in after that. But um, in my martial arts career, it's it's allowed me to meet so many different people. And then once I moved on from it, uh, oh, you know what? Backtrack a little bit. During the time that I had my martial arts studio, I was able to meet a gentleman by the name of Stephen Webb, and he had a nonprofit foundation where he would go around and uh, he would rescue um, exotic animals—animals animals that you know, for one reason or another, you know, people get, and then they realize oh, I can't handle them as they get older, or you know, those animals aren't considered domestic cated animals to begin with. right? Um, so he had a nonprofit organization set up to where he would go around to the schools uh, after school and he also had a program to where the schools can bring the kids to his compound to visit all his animals and he would teach them about the importance of um, how we uh contribute to the environment how recycling plays a big difference on animal engagement and preservation so it was it was all around a great program and i happened to meet him one day uh at an animal fair of all places and he had a white tiger with him and her name is isis i said hey i run a martial arts studio it'd be really really amazing if i could have a live tiger in the dojo for my students to actually see in person because how often do you get to see a white tiger in person up close wow you know i don't know too many people that could say that so yeah. we started talking and he brought isis to my studio and my students were able to uh see the tiger be up close were able to pet her um, then, and then him and I just struck up a friendship, and I said, "Hey, what other animals do you have? Can I come visit?" So he invited me to his compound, and he's got tigers, he's got lemurs, he's got uh, komodo dragons, he's he's got pinkies. I mean, any exotic birds, snakes. Uh, he had a um, albino snake named Leo, and and he was he was yellow and white, but he had these piercing red eyes. I remember um so we just we just started a friendship and then one day uh he adopted a cougar and uh I had just you know I, I happened to be there that day to help him feed and everything feed the animals I so come over to do that sometimes and I happen to be there that day he goes hey I just picked up Caesar from the vet today and I said who's Caesar he goes come meet my new cougar and uh he goes, we, we have to take him to the vet to have him defanged because you know we can't have these big cats with their fangs and then, you know, have them in the in the programs that take them to the schools. I was like, Okay. Um, so he says uh, he's a little groggy. He's still coming out of his his anesthetic, um, anesthesia, but I've got a group of students that are coming by here shortly, and they're going to tour the compound. I'm going to take them around and show them the different animals. Could you do me a huge favor and just hang out with Caesar and just make sure he doesn't get in anything he's not supposed to? I'm like, okay, I could do that. So I said, where is he? He goes, he's in my bedroom, on my bed. I'm like, oh, it's like that, huh? And he goes, well, hey, I just brought him home. These are all my kids because he treats all his animals like they're his kids. And, uh, he goes, he's my big kid. He needs a little, you know, TLC right now. So he's laying in bed. I'm like, all right. So I go in his room and there's this, there's this cat laying, his big cat laying in his bed and he takes up about a little more than half of the, of this king size bed and I'm laying there and I lay down with him and Caesar rolls over and he looks at me and he, Puts his paw on top of my chest like if he was hugging me. And then I laid there and I looked at him and he looked at me. And then, uh, a couple times, you know, the animals will test you. He opened up my mouth wide and I put it over my, my, my face. And I kind of just gave him a light smack. I was like, Hey, Cedar, I don't play that. So then he, would, he snapped back in and he laid back down. And next thing you know, I guess I was tired. I fell asleep with this big cougar holding me and snuggling me like, like I'm the, I'm, I'm the cuddle there you know wow. oh my and um yeah and oh then i i goodness. woke up yeah it was so comfortable i fell asleep with him i didn't have a carrot i didn't have no i wasn't worried about him biting me or anything else it was just me and him that's it and then i remember waking up and I, I had to go use the bathroom and it was across and i got out of bed and, and uh i moved his paw off and he kind of he looked his head up and he looked at me and he he kind of like like where are you going? I'm like relax. I gotta go to the bathroom. He said, I'll be back. And as soon as I said I'll be back, he kind of just laid back down on the bed. Like okay, cool. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah. Then I I came back and then we kind of bonded. We laid there and I was you know I would talk to him. I was stroking his head and and then ever since that day, ever since uh, we had that moment, every time I went to Steve's compound, if Caesar saw me. And he knew that I saw him, and I didn't come out to give him his 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 head rub and his neck rub and give him kisses. He he would he would he would get upset. He would start at first if he sees me, he 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 would stand up and he'll start pacing, and then he'll wait for me to make my way out to him if he's outside. And if I don't go out there, he'll he'll start pacing, and then he'll start whistling for me, and then I'll be like, "Okay, Caesar, just I, I hear you. I'll be right there, buddy." And if I still don't come out to him when he starts whistling, and he starts really pacing. And he's like, his whistles, and he'll start chuffing. You know, I don't know if you're familiar, but, you know, big cats, they make a a noise, and they they call it chuffing. It's like, it's not like a growl, but it's almost like a, you know, like a, a kind of a growl. Yeah, so they call it chuffing, and he would start chuffing. So he wouldn't stop pacing and chuffing and whistling at me until I actually go out there and acknowledge him. So once I go out there and I acknowledge him, when I give him his attention and his love, he he's like a big baby. He's like, Okay, life is good. You can go back doing whatever you want. I got your attention. Cool. And I would feed this cat out of my hands. We would I remember uh we fed him chicken breasts, raw chicken breast. So I would take the chicken breast and I would dice it up and I would put it all in the palm of my hand and he would just eat it right out of my hand. Wow. And uh it it is definitely um I couldn't even begin to explain the the bond that I had As, with all the animals, but especially with Caesar, because we had that moment all together for ourselves for a few hours, and and ever ever since then, our bond has just been magical. I can't even I you know I would never think in, in my wildest dreams that I would be doing something like that ever. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, and it's crazy because you know Steve would would. You, like, hey your boyfriend's been missing, you want to come over and visit him? <laughs> <laughs> I like, Yeah, I'll go visit Caesar.
1: <laughs> did you say where he came from? Where'd he get the where'd he get Caesar from?
2: I think uh if I remember correctly, Caesar was a rescue cat as well. Um somebody was trying to keep him as a pet and he, he out he wow. grew too fast and you know, they they didn't have the proper knowledge, um and they weren't equipped to keep a big cat like that in the house not right. to mention it wasn't legal so right um steve acquired him and brought him back and uh and raised him
1: oh awesome i was just curious yeah because he seemed he seemed like you know he was pretty tame from the get-go so it's like did somebody really try and have a cougar as a pet and then you know it, that amazes me that somebody
2: would i would yeah. never
1: even try that no.
2: <laughs> yeah you know. I, there's so many people out there, it's crazy, you know, that what they think is, is cute in the beginning, cause you know, these animals in the beginning, they're small and they're cute right. and they look cuddly. But what people don't, you know, forget is they get bigger. Exactly. And as they get bigger, their temperaments will change. And if you're, if you know, if you're not familiar, you don't have the knowledge and the skill set to take care of them, they can, you know, they can be a big problem, not only for for the people who are raising them but you know for the animals it's not safe for them it's not in in a good environment for the animals because they they need to be taken care of properly and you know a lot not a lot of people are equipped for you can't just put a bowl of food out and let them eat and then let them out and go do their business and and call it a day it takes a lot more than that to have you to, to raise an animal let alone an exotic animal that that you can't just call up your buddy and go hey my dog did this day does your dog do that and like what are you going to say hey my cougar did this day you have to know what your cougar would do you know right <laughs>
0: so you mentioned so you mentioned a komodo dragon earlier did you work with them
2: yeah he had um all his animals uh were on his compound and we would go through each different you know section where they all were and, and feeding time we would prep all the food in the kitchen and and you know they all had their names and um, all their food was set on the bowls and then, you know, I would take turns like, okay, I've got, I've got feeding duty for, you know, the kinkajus or uh, the lemur needs to be fed or, uh, walking the snakes. You know, one day he asked me, Hey, you want to walk my snakes for me? And I'm like, what? What, what do you thing? mean walk the, walk the snakes? He goes, I'm just going to put them all outside on the, on the yard and the front lawn and let them just have their freedom and move around while I, while I go back and clean everything. And I go, so what do you mean walk the snake? just make sure they don't leave the, the, the yard and, and go off in the street or go to the neighbors. I was like, oh, okay, so that's about walking the snake. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they, keep, they
0: keep crawling through the leash. Yeah, I tried, no but it didn't either. Yeah,
2: that's what I thought. I was like, what? You know? <laughs> no, I just, heard, I
0: just heard that Komodo dragons have botulism in their, in their bite, and that's how they kill animals
2: yeah they that's what i was told as well um whenever i was around the kimono dragon he was always inside his big uh his big tank it was was like an oversized tank like if you can imagine a big glass display cabinet that's really long about six feet long or so that's what uh what steve had him inside and so i actually was never around when he took uh whenever he had to take him out to clean his aquarium or anything, so I wasn't there for that. Yeah. I was around a lot for like the snakes, the tiger, the cougar, the lemur. The, I think the lemur's name was Samantha. She, she was very, very hyper, um, had a problem being around females. She liked being around males more than females because I guess she wanted to assert her, you know, her, her control and her authority. Um, all the animals, had their own temperaments. They, it was just amazing to be around. Just to think that these are, you know, God's creation. And who would have thought I would have ever had an opportunity to be that up close and up front with them like that? It was just, you know, absolutely a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I took that opportunity every chance that I was allowed to by him. And then years later on, he, uh, he bought a, p- a compound, uh, in Florida. And then we just lost, we lost touch from there. But not a day goes by that I don't think about it.
0: Well, see, Aww. Natalie and I ended up working on the television show, uh, The Carbon Arrow Effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was hired as an animal trainer and a magic consultant on the show. So we were working with, we had a white tiger, we had capuchin monkeys, we had lemurs. We had oh, McCall, there you go. And we loved, we loved every second of it. And it's so funny that, you know, a tiger or a lemur or these animals, right. each one really does have a different personality. And different really, personality
2: different energy yeah
0: like everything about them is different and it's it's not like just a dog or a cat you'd see at a at a pet store right i mean they yeah they are, they are like people man they're completely different yeah it's kind of neat yes
2: yes absolutely i agree with you it's it's definitely uh you know if anybody can experience it it's definitely one of those experiences of a lifetime that you can't really replicate
1: right
2: yeah. now i even i even see my brother my younger brother um in the Asian Zodiac, he was born in the year of the tiger. So I remember one year, it was his birthday, and I went up to Steve. I go, hey, uh, I know this might be a big ask, but I says her whiskers fall off all the time. And uh, I said, it'd be cool if I could have one of her whiskers to get to my brother for his birthday. And he goes, go for it. Go ask her. She'll give you one. I'm like, you, I, I don't want to pluck it out of her. And then he goes, no, just, just go over there, go talk to her. You know, I'm like, okay. So I went over to ICE and I'm like, hey, girl, you know, it's my, my brother's birthday coming up and, uh, <laughs> it'd be really cool. if I could have one of your whiskers. He's like, <laughs> give it to him. I promise you it's, it's going to be in safe hands. And I was stroking her and then like kind of took one of her whiskers and just kind of like pulled it off. And then she just looked at me and licked my hand and that was it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, uh, I gave it to my brother. I go, I said, you can't go anywhere and buy this. You know, I go, I took this off of an actual tiger. This is a real whisker. And I gave it to him. And, uh, um, you know, I, I asked him years later because it's been many, many, many years ago. And he goes, you know, I honestly don't remember what I did with it. I'm like, oh, dude, I can't exactly go and buy it again, man. Right.
0: <laughs> you don't know what I had to go through to get that thing. I could have lost it Yeah. All. <laughs> Goodness. Oh,
2: <Aww. laughs> Yeah.
0: So when you were talking about him. your second degree black belt, what what was the style of martial art? I was trying to tell Natalie, but I couldn't remember.
2: Well, the style of martial arts that I practice is called Chalin Kempo, and it's uh, it's really a blend of both a Chinese art form and a karate art form. Um, and there's you know many many forms of martial arts martial arts out there, um, and then a lot of us can trace our lineage in one way or another back to a certain root you know, uh, the Shaolin Temple thousands and thousands of years ago you know, um spread, you know, they had their monks that traveled, whether it be traveling to spread Buddhism or traveling for whatever reason or not, but these monks were also warrior monks, so you know, these monks traveled to different parts of the world and at the same time spreading uh, the martial arts and training, so uh, make a long story short come down to where our system is, there's a gentleman by the name of William Kwizun Chow, and he was basically um a Shaolin practitioner, a Chinese martial arts practitioner. He he trained a gentleman a Japanese gentleman by the name of James Matoshi. And so that in modern days where we can trace back to where it kinda you know, that's where the union kinda happened. But there's there's others Factors and other martial arts systems out there that are similar, if not almost the same as well. It's just depending on who we're able to trace our lineage back to, to like which monk master, which master it was that, you know, that the information was received from. Um, but the system that I, that I am, uh, in is called Shaolin Kempo. It is a blend of both, uh, Japanese martial arts and Chinese. Um, in the beginning, for the, the, the average student, it's all Japanese. It's all basic stances, punches. It's basically laying on the foundation, the basics. Um, as you progress through higher into the rank, and especially when you get to the black belt rank, it does change, Start and it goes into more of the Chinese facet, and the, more of the Shaolin side. Um, and so I've had the privilege to be able to go with our martial arts company and all of our students and other fellow instructors to go back uh, to China, uh, and, and test there and actually train there for about a week. Wow. Um, and that was that was definitely quite an experience to be around. It was amazing. I mean, it was just, you know, for someone who grew up watching martial arts and watching all like the old classics that are dubbed. You know, you know which ones I'm talking about. The the the, the terrible filming from the '70s and '80s, and yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: and they're they're speaking and they're done, Their mouth is still moving, but there's no words or vice <laughs> versa. You know, those type right. of movies you know um so yeah to be able to go to china and to be at the temple just to be on the actual temple ground where you know generations and generations of monks have trained and and lived and 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 you know go about their daily life it, it was just an amazing experience I, I just i i couldn't even begin to describe how it felt i remember the night that we rolled into because the Shaolin Temple sits in Hunan Province, which is it's in an outer. It's not in you know the city. It's out, it's out in the outlying villages and whatnot. So we had to fly, and then once we flew into uh, the the area, it's called Dangfeng or Dengfeng for most people. That's how they recognize it. Then we had to take a, a bus ride to the hotel. Once we got to the hotel, once we got settled in, it was pretty much. Um, we got woken up in the middle of the night. I remember I heard a loud pounding on my door like at 3.30 in the morning and I was told, get your uniform, get your gear, get your bell on, you know, meet downstairs. So we were all lined up downstairs in this hotel and we took up their whole front parking lot area. And then I remember um, our headmaster going, how does it feel to be only a few miles away from the birthplace of martial arts? You are here now, and you will be there tomorrow on the temple grounds. And when he said that, how does it feel to be only a few miles away now from the actual birthplace of the martial arts? The hairs on on the back of my neck and my body, everything just just stood up to attention. I could just feel that electric energy. And it, it was, again, like I said, I just couldn't even begin to describe it. It's just one of those things where you just have to be there to experience it it
1: had to just make it more special more meaningful all the way around I'm absolutely
0: sure. did your brother absolutely. get into it as well
2: my brother did um my I, we got my brother involved in the system but i didn't teach him because i i kind of had i wasn't sure i you know i was hesitant about family teaching family
1: uh-huh. you know
2: so i had him trained under another instructor that was still part of our system and in our company as well and my brother didn't make it to black belt. He got to brown belt, which he was dang near close. But I thought, okay, dude, you got to brown belt. You're, you know, you've got enough basics to, to take care of yourself, at least. Right. So right. that was that. But I was always the martial arts buff in the family. It was just me, you know. And you, Where, and you it's went, funny.
1: And your test for uh, your second degree was there in?
2: It was yeah. in the Shaolin Temple grounds itself. Wow. My test actually was several days. It wasn't just a day. Oh, um, really? It was several days, and I remember when we first got to the Shaolin Temple, we were just in the front of it, um, you know, where it's the, the, the area, I, you know, the courtyard we were at, it's open to the public where people can go see, but we were all there, and we were all standing there, and I remember it was raining, and we were all lined up in formation, and I think we were out there for a good hour or two just in the rain,
1: wow.
2: just standing there at attention, and it wow. was, again... It was quite a feeling, quite an experience just to be there, and just standing there. I remember standing there, looking around my surroundings and looking at the sign, you know, and 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 telling myself, "I'm here. This is it. This is these are you know all the images that I see on TV or the documentaries or in the books. I'm like, I'm here, (laughs) you know." That's awesome. and it was, yeah, it, it was definitely, definitely one for the books for sure.
0: What now? What is the YouTube clip you told me about?
2: Well, uh, several years back, I had some uh, guys reach out to me, and they said, hey, we read your article in Vice, because I was interviewed by uh, Vice Media. Wow. Um, yes, like and that. they did an article on me as a female bounty hunter, um, and uh, there's not a lot of female bounty hunters out there, let alone an Asian female bounty hunter, so I was one of the first here in the state of Nevada. I think I still am the only Asian female bounty hunter, but I also was one of the very few that was actively bounty hunting, actively working. A lot of the females in the industry they get into the bell industry for one reason or not, but most oftentimes it's because their spouse or boyfriend either are in the bill business or own a bill business or whatnot. So they're they're involved that way. But I think I'm one of the rare ones that actually was like, Okay, I wanna do this, so let's figure out how to make this happen and you know, I just kind of dove right into it and just immersed myself in it. But um, these guys called me up and said, "Hey, Richard Vice uh, article would love to shadow you uh, around for a couple of days to see what it's like to be a bounty hunter." And uh, I said, "Sure." And then we made an appointment, uh, a time and date set. And they came in from California and they followed me around for like three, or four days. And uh, they put a clip out. And they put a you know, with all the material that they did film with me, they were able to put out a um, a short video on YouTube.
0: And what do I do? What do I search to get that?
2: You know, to search it, you just go on the YouTube, you type, type in my name, my name is Win. it's spelled U-Y-E-N, last name Vu, V like Victor, U like Uniform, put Bounty Hunter, I'm um, and, and it usually pop up, um, and they were, at the time, um, independent producers for Mode Media, M-O-D-E, Mode Media.
1: And so, did you find
2: anybody while they were there?
1: You know, we uh,
2: we didn't find anybody that day that they followed me around or that those few days. Uh-huh. But the gentleman that I was looking for, the case I was working on, uh, it was funny because they told me, "Hey, if you end up finding this guy, let us know." And sure enough, I think about a week later, I was able to find the guy uh, and apprehend him and uh, re- remand him back into the detention center.
1: Nice.
0: So I, I don't. I never watched Dog the Bounty Hunter. I, I think I may have seen two episodes ten years ago, fifteen oh. years ago. Are you are you putting cuffs on people and dragging them in?
2: Absolutely. Wow. Let me tell you, uh, as a bounty hunter, um, when I started out, I started doing some ride right along with some people. Um, but once I was fully licensed for myself, um, I ended up going off on my own um, and going to go get work myself and getting clients myself. And so most of the time, it would be just me from beginning to end. I would get a case file. I would work the file. I would do my research. I would do my surveillance. I would be the one knocking on the door, doing the apprehension, the arrest, and the surrender at the detention facility. I would say 90% of my cases were closed by myself.
1: Wow. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. Whenever I needed backup, I did have uh, people that I could call for backup. At one point, I had a partner. Uh, We taught the bail Enforcement Training Program together um, at the... uh, College of Southern Nevada, and that was the um, training class that was required and mandated by the state of Nevada if you wanted to be licensed. You had to go through that 80-hour training course, and he and I, he was the main instructor. I was the assistant instructor. Uh, He did all the lectures and everything, and I was in charge of um, the handcuffing, uh, certification, the hand to hand combat certification, the firearm certification. Which, uh, you know, ironically, it's funny because when we introduced, we used to introduce ourselves to the classes, uh, every time we had a new, uh, group go through, everyone always stereotypically assumed that, uh, my partner was the instructor doing the, the physical stuff and I was doing the lecture. <laughs> and uh-huh. we got them every time, every time, Um, uh, you know, because my partner back then, he looks like, um, you know that wrestler uh, steve austin stone cold steve austin uh uh-huh. he kind of looked like him and bald head and you know goatee mustache the whole deal um so everyone always assumed he was the one doing the the cool stuff but it was always me so nice. i always like i always got a kick out of that <laughs> That's awesome. when
0: i just looked it up on my ipad while we're videotaping this and i got you uh, yes. beating the heck out of some uh skinny white dude in the, in the and <laughs> putting the gun together this video is awesome so what it what well, it came you. up? What it came up was um, I'm a bounty hunter. My life glam.com, but it okay, has yeah, in Lope, the bottom corner.
2: Well, media changed to glam. I think. I think they did at one point changed over and they became glam media. Okay. This
0: is awesome. This is so cool. Everybody, well, everybody, all the comments are just like, "That's a bad woman right there."
2: <laughs> you are
0: awesome, girl. This is so awesome.
2: So they I mean, you know, there. my my experience as a bounty hunter took me all over the country. Uh, I flew all over the country to do apprehensions and arrests, and I would fly back with them on the plane oh, or wow. drive back with them. Um, you know, and and uh, everyone always asked me, like, "Aren't you scared?" I go, "You know, if I uh, approached as being scared all the time, I wouldn't be able to do my job." So I, I didn't think of as a scary thing, but and you know, now looking back, that I'm older. Uh, you know i was like wow it took a lot of uh gumption and a lot of oomph to go out there and do that but it yeah. did it wasn't you know i thought it, i looked at it like it was fun it was challenging and and every time i was able to close the case it was such a satisfactory feeling and a sense of accomplishment especially doing it by myself that i just kept at it you know um I've, I've taught you know, and the difference between me, what separates me from a lot of other um, bounty hunters out there, I think, is, uh, number one, I'm a female. So most of the time, when I'm knocking on your door, you don't think I'm the one that's coming for you. You know, and yeah. I it to my advantage. You know, I tell right. them, hey, uh, sometimes <laughs> I tell them, hey, I'm the girl from the office. They, they're sending me down here to refill some new paperwork. I just need you to refill it. Or, you know, or oftentimes, I think, really, is the, my ability to be able to speak to people and put them at ease, I think, is what made my success rate so high. Um, I've I've talked people into hopping on a plane by themselves without me being there. I told them, if I send you a plane ticket and I pay for it and I don't need you to pay me back for it, would you be willing to get on that plane and come back here and let's fix this and make it over your shoulder? Or, or wondering, you know, who's parked down the street and knowing that you have this warrant hanging in your head. Right. And yeah, I was able to do that successfully to get them to come back, you know, and I said, you know, I'll treat you with respect and you treat me with respect. That's just how it goes.
1: Nice. So you said you I, flew all over the country. Did all of them start out where they were in Vegas and they just left no. and you had to track them down? Or?
2: No, some of them started in Vegas. Some of them lived elsewhere, came to Vegas, you know, party too hard or whatever. You know that old slogan, what happens right. in Vegas stays in Vegas? Yeah. Well, I, I use that line on people when I find them. I go, see, what happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas. See, you did something and now you got to come back and make it right, right. you know? Um, I had, yeah, I had people from all over. I, I I remember there was one guy I I had to go find. He was actually one of the script writers for The Sopranos. Oh. And and I found him uh, in a um, rehab center. Um, I've had I oh, I'll tell you an interesting one. I had one case, and the female, she was in Reno. She went into warrant in Reno because at one point I actually was able to. Uh, I landed, I would want to say, like a dream job as a bounty hunter. I was hired by a surety company, and the surety company is the company that provides basically like the insurance of the bail bond offices, you know. Uh Um, They they back them up. It's like if you write a bond, uh, let's say someone goes to jail and they need to get bonded out. Well, the court sets the fee for each charge. Every charge is different. Every bond is priced differently. But let's just use a hypothetical one. Let's okay. say you go to jail for domestic violence, um, and the bond's $3,000, and people wondering, well, how do I go about that? Well, if you're in a state, because there's five states in the country that doesn't have private bond, which means um, New York's one of them, for an example. If you get trouble in New York and you go to jail, you have to bond through the state, which means you have to come up with that whole $3,000, or you're stuck in jail to your court date. Mm-hmm. But the, for other states that have bond, what you do is you pay a percentage of that bottom amount that's set by the court. And every state's fees are different. Like for example, in California it's a fifteen percent rate in Nevada is ten percent. So in Nevada, you if you went to jail and your bond was set at three thousand, you'd have to come up with that ten percent down in order to get out of jail. Oh, okay. Okay. And then what happens is if you go to jail and you go to all your court appearances and, and, and you go through all your motions and uh and your case gets closed Then once the case is closed and the court sends the bail office the 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 paperwork saying that you know um, case closed, everything's done, then that person will be released from the bail bonds responsibility. But okay. if they don't, and they get a notice from the judge going, hey, failure to appear. Your guy or girl didn't appear in court. Now you have 180 days to either produce the body or produce the checks is what they call it. Gotcha. So produce the body means go find them, bring them back. If you can't find them within the allotted time provided, um, then you got to produce a check, which means the bail bond owner now has to write a check for $3,000 out of pocket and, and pay it to the courthouse. So that's, generally speaking, how bond usually works. Okay.
0: So then, so then when they have to send you out, they also tack on that bill to the Yes. Colonel?
2: So when they send me out, that, my fees and, and my charges get tacked on to that person's bill that they already owe the bill company. Wow. And that's why I tell them, too, sometimes. I thought look, you know, the longer I'm out here looking for you or the longer I'm out here looking for, you know, if I'm talking to a family member or a friend, it's costing you. You signed on the dotted line. You said that you would be responsible. So help me help you. You know, the longer I'm out here looking, my fees rack up with with the bail bond office. And they have to pay it. They have to pay my travel expenses, uh, you know, lodging expenses, investigative hour expenses, all the hours that I spent working on that case file. I bill them. Right. Um, You know, for example, I had one guy. Um he was the person that bailed out this female. Um, I looked at the case file and I, I saw it for what it is. She was basically one of those females that was um, a prostitute. And uh, he was basically her pimp, but he wouldn't admit it to me. He was like, oh, I, I, yeah, I was her boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. But I, yeah. I, and he was trying to dodge my questions. I go, look, I'm not here to judge a man, okay? Regardless of your relationship with her and her and vice versa, it doesn't matter. The point is, right now, you're on the hook for $10,000. And that's $10,000 on top of my fees. And my fees, are they're, they're racking up every day that we speak. Every day that I can't find her and put her back into custody, that's costing you. Your tab is growing. I said, so help me find her. I go, you know, uh, you know where she would be. You know how, you know, she would advertise her services. Let's let's make this happen, man. And then at first he was like, nah, you know, I, I don't know where she's at. I, I, I can't get a hold of her. She won't respond to me. I said, that's fine, but this isn't going to go away. This, mm-hmm. the, you know, I go, so come on, let's let's make this happen. And then he was like, okay, well... You know what I could do is I could set you up with a burner phone and I can kind of like get her set up to, to like potentially meet a client at, you know, at a, at a motel or something and then you go in and do your thing. And I go, well, there's no guarantee she's going to show up. I said, no, that's not going to work. I go, how about I come get you and then we go find her ourselves. And he thought about that. I go, look, this is your best bet. Another person, if somebody else takes this case file, they might not be as generous with their time and as patient. I go, so, let's do this. And I don't know what clicked in his head. He said, sure. Yeah. Okay. And I said, great. I go, you're up in San Francisco. I'm going to be driving from our Las Vegas office. I'm going to drive up to our Reno office. I've got to do some case files there. And then from Reno, I'll bump over to uh, San Francisco and then I'll pick you up and then we'll go get your girl. And he goes, okay, that's fine. So you guys, it's just me in the car. Okay. And I drive all the way from you know, to San Francisco, and I'm picking up this you know, big black guy, right? And he's a pet. Okay. And so I, actually, I have my badge out. I have my firearms holstered. Um, he told me to pick him up at his mom's house, so I, he gave me the address. I picked him up. I get out of the car. I go knock on his door, and he comes out. He goes, Oh my God, put that badge away. You know, if people see me out here, they're going to think I'm a snitch or something. I'm like, Well, that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> I have my badge out to let everyone know who I am and what I'm doing so that there's no confusion as to why I'm he goes, Okay, okay. So he gets there, I go, Are you ready? He goes, Yeah, let's go. And so he gets in the car and I go, Um, what do you know about her? Did you did you try to reach out to her? You know, he goes, Yeah, I had a guy uh that I know reach out, try and make an appointment with her and it looks like she's down in Santa Maria, California right now is what it looks like. And I'm like, Okay, I guess we got a road trip ahead. So we get in the car and I go, Look, no funny business, okay? I go, if you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. We're just going on a road trip and that's all it has to be. I go, This firearm right here is holstered. But let me let you know, it has one round in the chamber ready to go if I need to use it to defend myself. I, I said, are we going to have an issue? He goes, nope. I'm like, all right, cool. So let's go. So we're in this car. We're, we're driving. We get down to California. It's been a long day, mind you. And I, I left Reno like at 4 in the morning. or No, 6 in the morning. I got to San Francisco um, in the afternoon. It was probably 4 or 5 o'clock. Before we actually hit the road from San Francisco to look for this this female, and we're driving from Northern California, and we're, and we're making our way slowly down towards Southern California, and then uh, we get a hit that she she put a posting, you know, because they have these sites that they use to, to post their services. She posted it up that she was in Santa Maria, and he goes, "Okay, so let's go to Santa Maria." Yeah. I go, "Is this the same place where your guy kind of made an appointment with her too?" He goes, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay, cool." It's been a long day, you guys, right? I'm, I'm in this car with this guy all day, and I'm tired. And I literally, kid you not, as we're coming into Santa Maria, into the town, we're about to exit the freeway, I remember looking up at the sky, and in my head I said, dear Lord God, please just let me find this girl. It's been a long day. I know it's wishful thinking, but it would be nice if I could just see her walking down the street, and then we just pick her up, okay? And as soon as I said that, we exited the freeway we're at the stoplight getting ready to turn right and he looks up and he goes holy shit there she is there she is and i'm like what what wait what and he goes there she is she's walking right there and before i could say anything home dude bolts he opens the door of the car and he he takes off running down the street after this girl and i'm like oh great so i gotta wait for the light to turn green i it turns green i i i you know Hopping into into, uh, oncoming traffic. And then I see a police car coming up behind me. Because now he sees this big black guy running down the street. He sees me trying to, like, drive after this guy. So, naturally, he's like, what's going on? So, he pulls me over. And, uh, I get out. I show him my badge. I show him my ID. I show him the case file. I go, I'm a fugitive recovery agent from Nevada. Um, This is the case file. You know, I'm in pursuit. She actually was just spotted down the street right now. And, uh, I said, uh. So, my partner took off running after him because I wasn't going to go into details about it. And, uh, the officer was very nice. He goes, Well, you know how, how it is. When you come into town to play, you got to call dispatch, let us know. I go, I was. I literally just got off the freeway. Didn't even get a chance to call you guys yet. And then, boom, there she was. And so he took off. And then, uh, so the officer was like, All right, I'll make note of it. I'll let dispatch know. And he goes, Be safe. And if you need anything, give us a call. And oh, I was nice. like, Have fun. And so I get back in the car and I'm, I'm, and I'm I, pu- I, finally get catch up to him i go get in the car and we get in the car i go you just spooked her and he goes yeah she's running and then we saw her she jumped into a random uh truck Aww. she jumped to the back bed of a truck and then they took off and he goes now what i go well you know you spooked her you scared her she knows you're here so now we gotta backtrack i go now we gotta go back and circle back to where she's staying and then just wait it's a waiting game And so we found out which motel she was at, and uh, we went back and I parked across the street, turned the lights off and everything, we're sitting there. And then I think about another half an hour or so rolls by, and that truck that we saw her hop into the back of was pulling into that motel. So uh, he goes, there she is, there she is. I'm like, okay, relax. I go, no sudden moves, okay, don't be jumping out, go and doing anything. You just stay next to me and you be quiet. You don't move, don't do nothing. No sudden moves. He goes, okay. So we go back cross street and I knocked on the door, uh, the office door for the motel and, uh, the owner came out and I, I showed him my badge, my case file, I told him what, you know, why I was there. And I said, you know, um, do you give me permission, give me a key to enter this property? Uh, at first he was hesitant. I go, look, it's either you're going to give me permission or I'm going to do a forceful entry. And if I do a forceful entry and I break your door, then you're going to have a door you have to deal with and you have to fix. And uh, he thought about it and then he gave me the keys. So I said, okay, cool. So I go up to the room and uh, I, I wait outside. I'm listening to see what's going on inside because I didn't want to just open the door. I actually wanted to wait till she was, you know, in the process of doing something or getting ready to do an act so that I could catch her in the middle of the act, you know, and then just be an easier arrest. Yeah. And that was basically what happened. I opened the door and she was, getting ready to get into the act and then boom and then the guy you know started mouthing off on me I'm like look I'm not here for you you know so you can put your pants back on and go on your happy way or if you want to be difficult I'm pretty sure I could find some warrants on you maybe and as soon as I said he goes, no I'm out of here have a good night and that was it
1: wow. wow
2: yeah and then you know I told her why I was there I told her you know you're in warrant. you know what it is let's do this and yeah so then I drove her I put her in the car And when I transport people uh, uh, on the road, um, I try to make it as comfortable as I can for them within, you know, reason. So I transfer her from, you know, because when I arrest people, I handcuff them behind. Their hands are behind them. Obviously, that's going to be uncomfortable in a car ride for any amount of time so i said you know i I told her the rules what i expected out of her i said now i'm gonna i'm gonna change over your cuffs and i'm gonna put you in the belly chains and ankle ankle anklets, so it'll be more comfortable for you so i proceeded to lock her up in belly chains and then her ankles were locked up I put her in the car. So now I have her in the car and the guy in the car with me. I have to drive him back up to San Francisco to drop him back off. And then from there, from San Francisco, I have to drive her all the way back to Reno to remander into the detention center at Reno. You know how long this road trip has been for me? I've been going nonstop since like 6 a.m. that morning. And at 4.30, we were still rolling into San Francisco to drop him off. And then I think I rolled into Reno... Right, you know, right when the sun was coming up, and at the whole time, I tried everything. We would crank the music up. I would would roll down the windows and let that cold blast come in. I did yeah. everything I could to stay awake because it's not like I could go to him, and go, "Hey, dude, you want to drive for the next, you know, half hour?" Like, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's not an option. So yeah, wow. I did this all by myself, and. um You know, sometimes when I tell people this story, they're like, "You weren't scared? You weren't thinking?" I'm like, "Yo, if I was, I didn't think of it because if I did, I wouldn't be able to do my job." (laughs) Right? Yeah. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Interesting times.
0: So, what's your? I know you're writing a book. Is is these stories going to be in the book, or what? What is your book about?
2: Yeah, my book is basically it's going to be a memoir, loosely about me. um, You know, my experiences as a bounty hunter. Um, then I'll probably segue into my experiences that, you know, as martial arts, as a farms instructor, just basically how I became who I am today, basically. And really this book, I've met so many people throughout my life, you know, from my twenties on up saying, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I'm like, who cares? It's just me. You know, I'm one of so many people out there. Uh, but then after I had my daughter, you know, um, someone said to me, if you don't care about putting your story out there for other people at least put the story out there for your daughter and Mm -hmm. that's when i was like okay now i have a real legitimate purpose why i really want to do it um and then so yeah i started writing the book for my daughter and then you know now that she's getting older you know when she was a baby i would leave her with my parents and i would you know go all around the country to to do my job as she got a little older i realized i want to be home with her to be there for uh, for all these moments and experiences school school work so I, I stepped back from bounty hunting and then i kind of transitioned into what do i want to do next and um i sat there and i gave it a lot of thought and then um what really triggered it for me was i was cleaning out my office at home um after i left my martial arts company it was i left it because um the principles and, 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 and everything that I cherish and I revered as martial arts, I, I didn't see it being practiced by my senior instructors. You know, the people that I looked up to, the people that were my boss, the people that trained me. I just, I just felt like, it, we weren't aligned, so I took a, I made the, like a really big decision to step away from it all and, and sell my school and, and all that. And what I did with all my stuff, my gear, my equipment, I took it home, my home office, and I kind of just, I went through a dark period where I just locked my office door, closed it, and then I wouldn't think about it. And then finally one day, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to sort through all this and, and get rid of what I don't want to keep and whatnot. So I went through, it, and as I was going through all these letters I got from all of my students, you know, and and it just dawned on me like that was why I became a martial arts instructor in the first place, to help all these people achieve their goals and, and succeed and, and you know and, and accomplish things that they never thought they could do, push their minds and their bodies to to, to to levels that they never thought possible. And I was just like I was able to do that as martial martial arts instructor for them and I realized like, you know, as I get older I I do want to make money of course because you know, money is, is a necessity for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be successful and I want to live comfortably, but I still want to have some sense of purpose. I still want to help people. And I've always been raised uh, with, the, with the mentality, the more people I help achieve what they want, in turn, will help me achieve what I want. And I think finally when I hit my 40s, I realized I truly, truly got a better understanding of what that meant. So then I started doing some research. So what do I do? And then I came upon life coaching. And it's just, I feel with all my experiences and um, all my different industries that I've been involved in, and mainly also being a female in a very male-dominated industry, and every industry that I picked was all male-dominated. To be able to to go into those industries, being a woman and doing what I did and be able to accomplish what I did in the time that I did do it, I felt like, I have something to offer. So yeah. someone says, "You just gotta go and put it together." So here we are. You know.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, because you. Yeah. You can't say you've had a boring life. You have definitely got some stories to tell, and and definitely have experience to back you up to do this kind of thing. So Yes, yes I I do. That's that's amazing. That's awesome to be able to take what you've learned and all that you have done, and be able to help other people. That's a that's a great thing and I think you're really you seem like a person that's really fit for that kind of thing to do that. And I think Well thanks Natalie. Yeah,
2: Thank well, you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, all absolutely.
0: The, all of the comments underneath your video was this is a bad chick. The video's too short. We want more. We want more.
2: Yeah.
0: So I and mean, you know, people, I ha- that's your book. I mean they want more. They yes, want to know more about I volume. agree.
2: Exactly. And I've been approached ever since, ever since that Vice article came out a few years back. I've been approached, um, all the time by TV producers, script writers, um, and I've had people, I've even had one gentleman at the time was like, we're ready to do this. We, let's develop something, uh, around you and your story. Um, and they, and they even sent me a contract. Um, but, I, I, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason, and timing is important as well. I don't think it was just meant to happen at that time for one reason or another. Um, And a lot of these other projects, I never personally wanted to get involved because I wanted to be in control of my story still. And right. some of these projects wouldn't allow me to do that. So I, I, you know... A lot of people tell me, "Ah, you know, all these opportunities, they're not going to come your way anymore. You know, they're going to get fewer and fewer in between. But I've never let that bother me because as a person, I've always lived my life. I am in control. Of my destiny, I want something i 'm going to make it happen, so that never bothered me that i I had so many people approach me and you know and that I said no or 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 for one reason or another not decide not to get involved. I mean the last season of Big brother on TV that aired this past summer, I was supposed to be on it, but I yeah. just didn't feel that that was a fit for what I want to do for my brand, yeah, it would give yeah. me the exposure you know that would give me um, a huge exposure right off the bat but it just—I it, didn't just feel like it, it aligned with my message and what I want to do, yeah. so I didn't do it. But well, then, coming yeah. circling back, the book—I feel like—is—is is where um, I put all my experiences in that book and everything. And I—that I, book—I feel will be my my jumping platform to introduce people to coaching.
0: Nice. Well, yeah. and and as far as your life coaching business, if there's somebody that wants to reach out to you, how how would they reach out to you? And say you know, Look, my, my, my life is a mess i need some help <laughs> and i think win could definitely whip me into shape and if i don't listen she's gonna kick my butt so
2: i'm gonna <laughs> listen that you know Wes, when you play like that that's how a lot of my um my martial arts student used to be a lot of my parents would come to me and go if you don't get your crap in gear i'm gonna tell miss win about it
0: yeah you know and yes. i
2: have parents would come to me you know guess what michael did in class there guess what johnny did you know and, and then it would become like, all right, well, let me talk to them. You know? Yeah, oh <laughs> and I God. even had parents go, you know, they're so different when they're with you, Miss Wynn, because he acts a certain way and he, he listens and he's disciplined. But then when he's at home, it's totally opposite. And I was like, you know, unfortunately, it needs to be carried over at home. I can't go with you guys and live with you in your home and make sure your kid is, is always on the, you know, toe on the line. That's like the principles that I teach them and everything, all that has to be reinforced at home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, right now, I'm in the process of getting some uh, social media set up and a website. But if someone really just wants to to get a hold of me, I'm the type of person, find go directly to the source, I'm the source. You know, they can reach out to me through my email, which is lotusconsultants88 at gmail.com. That's common spelling, L-O-T-U-S-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-T-S-88 at gmail.com. And I, I always respond to my emails. I always get back to everybody in a timely manner. So if anybody really wants to reach out to me, just that's my the, the quickest and most direct way to get a hold of me. And this
0: isn't just for people out in Vegas. I mean, you can do it over Zoom and...
2: I can do it over Zoom. I can do it through Skype. I can do FaceTime. The beauty about our technology and where we are right now as a society is, is you could literally do anything anywhere with a with a reliable Wi-Fi connection and and like a computer or, or some sort of smart tablet or, or smartphone. It's yeah. it's made it so much technology has made it so much easier um, for us to be in touch with one another and to do business with one another and to just anything and everything perfect yeah
0: this this is so cool I, I i i don't know do i need a life coach natalie
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> i got i got twin boys coming any day now so i might be calling you in 10 years
2: hey whip these I'm boys in the here. anytime and every time i'm i'm always here i'm always up for the challenge of, and to me it's not even about uh, making the money, yes, money is is a, a big factor of course. I'm not going to lie to everybody. It about the money. It is. You know, I wanna I wanna be able to do something successful and be be able to provide for my family and and be successful at. It. But at the same time, that's just a secondary, if not a third, you know, reason. You know, down the line, my main reason is meeting people. Being able to meet so many different people from so many walks of life, and be able to have some sort of a positive impact on them, and them having a positive impact on me—it's not all about me. It's about them, how they impact me, and how they help me grow as a person. And that's the real reason why you know I do what I do—is—is is to create that that positive energy and and to spread that positive energy and to 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 get people to realize like you have whatever it takes inside you. Do whatever it is that you want. You just have to consciously make an effort and, and follow through with it. You know, like if your mind can conceive it and you truly believe it, you, you speak it out, speak it out to existence, put it out there in the universe and take the necessary steps to make it happen. I guarantee you there is nothing in this world that you can't accomplish if you truly, truly desire it. You truly, truly want it. And sometimes people say, Oh, it's easier said than done. Yeah, it can be easier said than done, but it can be. It's just as simple as, opening your mind up to it, accepting it and let it be, let it happen, let it organically do what it needs to do. I'm also a firm believer of if you don't move to where you need to be in life, the universe will push you to, to to. will cause that friction for you, will cause that, that pain and that stress because you're not going along where you need to be so now the universe is pushing you along so what are you going to do about it when it pushes you along are you just going to let it push you along and then be a victim of it or are you going to turn around and take control of that situation and find the positives in all that situation and make those positives work for you so you can go out there and you can be in control yourself and you can go out and do whatever it is that you want to do and whatever it is that you want to accomplish it's all possible
0: Wow. Hey, and it's I, really
2: as simple as changing your mind frame, you know, yeah. positive thinking, positive energy, being open to it, being open to it, receiving it as well as giving it. Nice.
0: I agree with you 100 percent. You know how many guidance counselors told me that I need to find a real job? You can't do magic. I, live nah. in a, I lived in a small little town, you know, small population. D.C., uh, Washington, D.C. and Richmond are two and a half hours from me in either direction. I mean, that's the biggest cities around me. You're gonna struggle. Yeah. You're not gonna make it. What are you gonna? How are you gonna be a magician? And then I meet you, you on, know, on on Penn and Teller's Fool Us, and you know where are these people? And now, that's the know? thing,
2: those skeptics out there, because they don't realize that they might not think of themselves as negative individuals, but they don't realize that's a negative train of thought, that's a negative thinking. And when you you have a negative set in, it sets in uh, through your nervous system. It sets into your body. Have you ever worked out? and you're sweating, and the minute you say, I can't anymore, all of a sudden it's like that much harder, you can't do it no more, and it's because you already put it into existence that you can't. Boom. It's that simple, like that. But if you just turn around and flip it and say, I can do this, I can get through this, you know, and turn your negative to positive, you've already did the biggest, you've already accomplished the biggest hurdle you would accomplish is it. the fact that changing your perspective and your mentality of, of, instead of, don't, do. Instead of, can, can. You know? All right, you're um, awesome. And misery loves company. You know what I mean. Unfortunately, sometimes it, people are skeptics, and it's easier, you know, to, to, to feel like you're you're in the same boat as them versus not. And there's envy, you know, envy out there. There's jealousy out there. There's so many reasons why people think the way they think. And I, unfortunately, it's just it is the way it is. But we as individuals, we can help change that one person at a time.
0: When we are running out of time, sweetie. We will definitely right. have you back on as soon Absolutely. as you get this book done or if you want to come back on pre-book. Yay. We'll have you on Absolutely. anytime. You are awesome. Yes. Thank well, you. Thank you, you thank so thank much. You. Give us your uh, email address one more time.
2: Okay. It is lotusconsultants88 at gmail.com. Perfect.
0: When you're the best. Stay on the line. We're just going to wrap everything up. Stay on the line. Don't hang up. We're okay. just going to wrap everything All right. up. Okay. Um, Man, that was awesome.
1: That was awesome.
0: I want to go work out now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yeah. All right. Um,
0: anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, check out our reality show on Jewel TV, Wes Isley's Magic Life, every Wednesday night. And um, see, see you, you next, next week. week. Check us out online at com and Patreon.com forward slash Wes underscore isley. For behind-the-scenes videos, blooper videos, never-before-seen footage, discounts on merchandise, magic trick tutorials, and more. That's Wes Isley spelled W-E-S-I-S-E-L-I.